Hey yo everyone, welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. On this episode, we're going to be talking about anime episodes 95 through 97, which will be covering manga chapters 159 to 162. We get to learn more about Luffy's crazy strong brother Ace, and we see the group begin their journey across the desert of Alabasta to save the country. So the synopsis, the Straw Hats, with the help of Ace, manage to make their way out of Nanohana and start to make their way to meet the rebellion leader to convince him to stop the civil war. They have to make their way across the desert to Yuba, but along the way they run into all sorts of strange and unusual creatures that Vivi constantly forgets to warn the group about until it's too late. So the differences. These episodes, like the ones before it, are also full of differences and filler material. Of course, all the scenes in the desert with Ace's addition are slightly altered, even if the events that unfold, pretty much they go exactly like they do in the manga for the most part. However, some of the major change are as follows. Luffy and Ace getting to the Mary when they get split up is all filler. None of that happens in the, in the manga. In fact, the only part of episode 95 that's actually canon is the beginning with Ace versus Smoker and the end where Ace meets the crew and him taking out all the billion ships with his hiken or his fire fist move. I mean, even some of that is filler because they have to kind of change the dialogue a little bit. Um, because Ace stays with the crew instead of leaving right after beating the Billions, many of the original scenes on the boat with Ace are left out and they're pushed until later when he does eventually separate from the group. The anime also skips the meeting between the Baroque Works officer agents. So in the manga, just before the Straw Hats arrive in Elmaru, they actually have a scene with the Baroque Works officer agents, but that is pushed until much, much later. And then another scene that's completely added is the camping during the night. That scene is entirely filler as well, as the scene was never in the manga. In a pretty funny scene, and curiously, they made Luffy win the rock-paper-scissors game to see who carries all the bags, but in the manga he loses, which even Sanji admits in the anime makes more sense, which I find really odd how why they changed that. I think maybe it was just to make it more funny, because it is pretty funny when Luffy just <laughs> declares that the winner has to carry all the bags, uh, as opposed to in the manga where it is just literally him losing rock-paper-scissors. And then finally, after the monster trio unleashes their combo attack on the Sandora dragon, in or a dra- Sandora lizard in the anime, another one actually attacks the group, which Ace then takes out by lighting it on fire from within after being eaten, which is a pretty badass way to take one of those things out. But yeah, so you can see that there are quite a few changes and additions in these episodes, and for good reason, I suppose, because the fact that the anime was beginning to catch up to the manga at this time and they needed to separate the timing so that it doesn't catch up. All right, let's dive into these episodes. So these episodes follow the main story beats of the manga as written by Oda, but almost every scene is drawn out a little bit more with filler scenes stitched in or they're just elongated moments to try and spread the canon material out as much as possible. Like I left off with the last podcast, Ace is a freaking beast, just as we thought. He fights Smoker to a draw and takes out a fleet of ships in one blow with his Hiken, or Fire Fist, getting his nickname Hiken no Ace, or Fire Fist Ace. And this move is ridiculous. Like, it's so damn strong. And yeah, Ace is freaking a beast in terms of just power levels. 
And it's interesting to see because you'd imagine being Luffy's brother, he has the same durability and sort of the same type of will. But they do seem like very different people, though. Whereas Ace is much more calm, collected, he's more polite, very calculating, and sort of much more cerebral. And Luffy is obviously more of this dim-witted, um, just barge-in, sort of raging bull type of character. But yeah, it's it's interesting to see that both of these characters, how strong they really are. But with Ace being three years older than Luffy, obviously he is far more advanced in his abilities. And his devil fruit is unreal in terms of strength. And I can't remember actually if the anime mentioned what his fruit is actually called. But I'm just going to say it anyways. But yeah, he has the Mena Mena no Mi or the... Flare flare fruit? I mean, Mera Mera is just an onomatopoeia for like, in Japanese, for being very like hot or very like flame. Like, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a sound or sort of like a description of, of something that's very like hot and flamey. If that's a, <laughs> if that even makes sense. Um, it's not a phrase that I often use, but, but yeah, that's what it is. And he does have one of these elemental type fruits. I feel like introducing Ace and bringing back Smoker implants in the back of our heads how insanely powerful these elemental type devil fruits are and sets up the stakes and tension for the fact that Luffy has to defeat one of these before the arc is over. It creates this impending sense of danger as we don't know how Luffy and the others are going to win this fight. Most of all, it just creates this incredible sense of anticipation for when Luffy and Crocodile do eventually meet. And this is why I think the very first thing we see at the beginning of the Alabasta arc is a showcase of Crocodile's powers and the knowledge that we now have as the viewer that he is one of these elemental fruit users. And it kind of sets up this expectation of how is Luffy ever going to beat this guy? Considering the fact that we see that he is unable to beat Smoker or Ace and their power is so immense. Like, you just wonder, like, What's it gonna? How, what's gonna happen? And I really enjoyed seeing this sort of tension of like, what's going to happen when Luffy has to face Crocodile for the first time? And yeah, that carries all all the way until he does eventually actually meet him later on in the arc. And I actually think that's one thing that Oda actually does a really really good job of in almost every subsequent arc. Like a big bad villain, you get the sense that it builds this incredible tension because you he sets up these villains with like these it's extreme powers that you just don't know how Luffy's going to beat him and yeah and he does this so well in in the major arcs with these major villains going forward and this is like the first example of that and i think also this kind of why i love alabasta so much is because a lot of it, you know, does get repeated a little bit throughout the rest of the series, but Alabasta is the first time we ever get to experience this type of feeling. Because up until now, you could easily see Luffy beating up on whoever, you know, whether it be Kuro, Krieg, Buggy, Arlong, or even like Wapo, who's just like n nothing, even Mr. Three, like all these characters, you actually could still see a scenario where Luffy could easily win. But now you have a villain where it's just like, how is he going to beat Crocodile? And yeah, it creates for some really awesome like tension in the rest of the story. 
kind of jumping ahead a little bit, I gotta mention the Kung Fu Dugong scene is absolutely hilarious. It's not that long, but watching the rapid succession of Luffy going from beating one to becoming its master and then increasing the number of pupils is hilarious. But the quick training montage of him like showing them how to punch enthusiastically, like, Koda! Koda! <laughs> Just like, <laughs> it's so funny. And then, yeah, the, the part where they separate and then Nami and Vivi feeling bad for having leaving them behind. I mean, this is like classic random One Piece comedy that I love. And it's just just the over-the-top over, over the top comedy is just hilarious. As they travel further into the desert, we get the proper explanation of the dance powder I was referring to in the last episode. We also get to discover that this was the catalyst for the rebellion and the civil war here in, in Alabasta. And this is why I always found that seen earlier so pointless because Nami and Vivi explain what dance powder is here so much better and in a way that's actually relevant to the story so that we actually care what this is because before you have no context for what dance powder is or what it's supposed to be doing and so here we learn it more properly it actually makes sense and it's a very important thing that exists in this story. And then again, another random side note, Chopper being carried through the desert by Zoro because he overheats too easily due to his fur is pretty funny. And this is also the start to the Zoro-Chopper-Big Brother type relationship that forms, and it's really sweet and funny going forward here. Now it's no secret that I mostly universally hate filler and non-canon material in the anime, but I actually enjoyed having Ace join them here. It makes almost no sense why he's there, but Ace is a fun and likable character, but it's nice to see him interact with Luffy more as we'll get his view of the crew that Luffy has assembled. I also really like that scene where they're all camped out at night and Vivi's sharing that moment with Ace. It really does a nice job of building the characters and particularly Vivi's now fully developed an understanding of her attachment to the Straw Hats as well as fleshing out Ace's past relationship with Luffy a little bit more than we would normally get. And you would think the group just trudging through the desert would get boring and tedious, but not One Piece. Like I always say, some of my favorite moments in the series is when the crew is just messing around, talking to each other, and just acting like friends. And Vivi points it out, but the fact that Luffy's crew dynamic is so unique, down to the fact that while they would all follow Luffy to their deaths, but at the same time, they're not afraid to scold him, mock him, or challenge him on whatever stupid thing he does or says. And this makes it so much more fun and interesting than every other pirate crew we've come across, aside from maybe the red-haired pirates, which Luffy obviously modeled his captain philosophy off of Shanks. We've seen that Ben and Lucky Roo are not above mocking and giving crap to someone even as grand as Shanks, so Luffy obviously learned from Shanks and his crew on how to actually captain a ship. Getting back to the story, we get a hilarious sequence of Luffy challenging everyone to rock, paper, scissors, and whoever wins has to carry everyone's bags, but ends up winning and gets excited about it until he realizes that he now has to carry all the supplies and bags. There's nothing significant about this scene other than I really find this bit really funny, and it's one of the changes in the anime I actually do like, because like I mentioned, in the manga, he just loses and that's it. I mean, it's funny to see Luffy instituting this challenge and then having to suffer the consequences because of it but this then leads to Luffy running off ahead to reach a rock canyon so that they can eat but then he gets tricked by a bunch of these warusagi birds and gets all their stuff stolen 
Now, this is a pretty funny play on words in Japanese, and it's obviously lost in translation. But so, waru or warui means bad or evil, and that's also where the names, you know, like Wario and Waluigi from the Mario game series comes from, just FYI. It's just literally bad Mario and bad Luigi. It'd be like if we called them bad Rio or bad Luigi, <laughs> if that makes any sense. The second part is the funnier part, is、um, Sagi is heron in Japanese, which I guess they are, even though they look more like swans to me. But Sagi also has a double meaning and means fraud or swindle. <laughs> and I don't know why, but it's Usopp's reaction to this after Vivi explains what the Warusagi's MO here is. And he says, Birds that pretend to be injured? Isn't that Sagi? As in, isn't that fraud? And I'm not doing any justice here on the podcast, but just the way Yamaguchi Kappe says that <laughs> is always hilarious to me. And <laughs> just the fact that it's like, They're Wadusagi, but they're also performing Sagi, like as in fraud. It's just, I don't know why it's so funny to me. Anyways, in an effort to get all the stuff back, Luffy chases the Wadusagi, but ends up being chased by this huge Sandora lizard. And accompanying him is that same camel we saw earlier that helped Chopper out. As I mentioned in the differences, this is the actual introduction of Lashes the Camel. The name affectionately given to him by Nami. <laughs> and I love all the insulting names that Luffy, Usopp, and Sanji throw out, but Zoro acknowledges the fact that Lashes is the weirdest one out of all of them. <laughs> It's just pretty funny. And to wrap up these episodes, we get our first true display of power from the Monster Trio, and we get an awesome combo attack from Luffy, Zoro, and Sanji on the Lizard. And it gets decimated. It's so beaten that. The others actually feel sorry for the lizard. <laughs> That's pretty funny in and of itself. And it's often, it's funny because we often see them split up, you know, because of circumstances. And rarely do we get to see them take on one opponent all together. And when you see these types of things happen, it really does make you marvel at just how freaking strong these three are together. And it's, I get it. And, you know, we obviously love seeing the one on one fights, but it's sometimes like, I do wish they would fight a stronger opponent, all three of them together. I mean, we maybe kind of get to see that, but not really. And it's, and it's kind of sucks.、Uh, I do really wish there was a scenario where the three monster trios have to gang up on one guy to defeat them. But, you know, obviously that's not as interesting than one on one fights because, yeah, it's a little different. But yeah, the final scene、uh, sets up for a small filler story arc for the next couple episodes. That we'll talk about on the next podcast. But before we finish up, we get a new ending theme here、um, titled Fish by Kaleidoscope. Now, I'm not a huge fan of this song, I'll just say. Actually, it's probably one of my least favorites. It just doesn't sound very good to me. The vocals, for the most part, sound like he's screaming and struggling to reach the high notes, as well as the melody of this song isn't all that interesting or fun to listen to either. There's just nothing going for this song, in my opinion. The animation is alright as it focuses on Chopper, and it's his first inclusion in an ending theme slash opening theme. So that's cool, but there's really nothing that interesting that happens in these, as not most with ending themes, their animation isn't all that interesting. But overall, I'm just not a fan of this ending theme, and I almost always skip it on rewatch, and I never listen to this song on, you know, on my MP3 player or my iPhone and whatnot. Because it's not a good song. I just don't like it. But there you have it. 
we have officially begun our journey into Alabasta. I mean, nothing of note really happens in these episodes aside from a showcase of Ace's immense strength and powers, but we get some very important setup and exposition for events to come in the rest of the arc. However, despite the limited scope of interesting story progression, we get a lot of fun crew interaction, which Oda does a good job interweaving these moments to make the episodes still really fun to watch. Anyways, if you enjoyed this, send me a like or comment. And if you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Check out my Instagram and Twitter account at SunnyGoPodcast if you want updates of when I post new episodes. As always, I wanted to thank you for taking the time out to listen. And stay tuned for the spoiler section if you are interested. There's just a couple things I may wanted to mention. And yeah, if not, I'll see you on the next episode. Bye. Alrighty, spoiler section. I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about Ace, obviously, because he's a big part of the story later on. But it's one thing that really caught my eye on the rewatch that I didn't notice was they use Ace to drop some expositional dialogue, hinting that there is more to Crocodile's plan than just taking over the country, which obviously turned out to be true, as he was looking for the poneglyphs that lead to Pluton. And it's interesting that they drop that hint there in the in the anime, because that hint isn't really in the manga. I mean... You can kind of figure it out through context, but they just kind of like blatantly drop this um, more dialogue hint in the anime, which is interesting because, yeah, I mean, most of us suspected that there is more to this, more to Crocodile's plan than just take over the country because he doesn't seem very interested in Alabasta itself. And so you got to figure that he is after something else. But it is interesting that they made Ace you drop this line of dialogue hinting at that and then the last thing i wanted to mention in the spoiler section is i kind of like how i mentioned in the non-spoiler section i really do like the fact that they let a stay here i don't know if by this point oda had mentioned to the anime directors that ace was going to play a big role or even that his could potentially you know die in marine for it because it's such a long ways off but it it helps to build our attachment to ace because we get to see more of him first of all we get to learn more about him as a character and as a person and we get to see his relationship develop with luffy a little bit more and it's interesting because you know aside from this moment we don't really see much of ace before his eventual execution Aside from his battle with Blackbeard and then his time in Empel Downs talking to Jinbei. I mean, really, that's, I think, to the most extent of what we see of Ace until he dies. And one of the bigger criticisms of the Ace surprise death is the fact that some, I know some people I've talked to, they don't feel like Ace's death is earned or it doesn't have that big of an impact because we just never got to, you know, really see ace or get attached to him and i think it really did a disservice i don't know how you would do it but it's like because if you if you move the flashback up before the execution then you run the risk of people just seeing the execution coming from a mile away because if you show a flashback of ace before he dies you're just like 
yeah, he's gonna die. Because <laughs> that's just how One Piece works. And so I get why he pushed that after the moment he gets killed by Akainu. But yeah, I mean, it's funny because we that death probably would have had more emotional impact had we gotten that flashback earlier but then you would run the risk of not having that sort of story surprise impact i don't know it's a very it's a very hard thing to do but yeah i think it was nice that they included ace a little bit longer here just so that we could build up a little more attachment because in the manga it's literally nothing we just hear about ace a lot you know with the conversation between shanks and whitebeard him warning not to go after Blackbeard and all of that. But beyond that, we don't really get to see Ace all that much. And so his death, while for me personally, I think the reason why that death hit hard was not so much because we lost Ace, but because of how devastated Luffy was. Like, he goes into like a comatose state when he sees Ace die in front of him, which is something we don't see in anime or in real any comics, really. Like, you see... Often what happens when, like, their best friend or their family member die in anime is, like, they'll go into this blind rage and get this, like, power-up, but not Luffy. Like, I feel like that moment was really good. And I get why people criticize that moment, but it's just, like, that moment, it felt real because of the fact that Luffy, instead of going to this blind rage and to start attacking Akainu, he just goes completely into shock and becomes useless. And it becomes... A race to save him between Jinbei, Crocodile, and Law. I mean, they all had, and Marco, they all had to like kind of band together to save Luffy because he just becomes in this comatose state. And yeah, I've that moment is really powerful because of that, more so than our relationship to Ace, but but because of how we know it affects Luffy. And so yeah, I I think. I wish I would we would have had more moments with Ace, but I think the way they did it, or the way that Oda did it, is is still very, very good. And it was a really satisfying conclusion to the whole Marine Ford arc. Anyways, that's kind of my little mini rant on that. But thanks for listening, and let me know what you think about Ace's, you know, his inclusion here in Alabasta, or about how his sort of story arc concluded. Anyways, I will see you on the next episode. Bye.